0: Welcome to the Startup Competitors Podcast, where we talk with early stage entrepreneurs to understand
1: what information they use to inform product roadmap, strategy, and market differentiation. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Today I'm chatting with Rebecca Clyde, who's the co founder and CEO of Botco AI. We talk about enterprise sales, we talk about AI, we talk about gardening. I think we cover pretty much everything that is important in uh, launching a software startup. Uh, just had a ton of fun talking to Rebecca. I think you're really going to enjoy this podcast. Please subscribe, leave a review. You can drop me an email at mkelly at startupcompetitors.com if you would like to get a hold of me for any reason. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast.
0: This episode is brought to you by Full Stack PEO. Most founders start companies because they figured out a better way to solve a problem or serve a need, not because they love tracking payroll,
1: filling out compliance forms, and explaining employee benefits packages. And yet, all that stuff still has to be done. That's why there's Full Stack PEO.
0: Full Stack PEO specializes in turnkey HR for emerging companies, not just those core services, but advice and expertise that help founders maximize employee potential curious find out more at fullstackpeo.com
1: welcome to the podcast today we have rebecca clyde who is the co-founder and ceo of botco ai rebecca welcome
0: hi mike thanks for having me this morning it's good to be here and hello to everyone listening to the podcast today
1: why don't we start things off with a quick pitch for botco ai
0: Sure, you bet. So Baco AI is an intelligent chat nurturing solution, and we help businesses convert more customers by being always on and always available to answer their questions. And what that means is that when, for example, a prospective customer comes to your website and they have questions about your product or they're trying to look for something, they don't have to wait for those answers, and they're more likely to convert uh, when that happens.
1: And then give me a little bit of an overview of what that user experience looks like, both for the end customer, as well as maybe for the client company that uh, decides to set up BotCo AI.
0: Sure. So for uh, the end customer, it usually comes uh, through one of the channels that they're already engaging with. So maybe uh, through the website, a Facebook experience, or maybe even SMS. Um, They might have questions about the product or the business and, you know, maybe they're looking for pricing information or they're looking for specifications or availability to talk to somebody. And so they just ask their question. They just chat like they're talking to another person and they get instant answers that are powered by our AI solution, of course. And. What we have found is that when those questions get answered right away and there's not this lag of, oh, let me get back to you or, you know, you have to wait for a live chat person to respond in 20 minutes or this is after hours and nobody is there to respond. When people can get those instant responses, we find that they convert at twice the rate. Um, and we, we know this now because we've been able to run some A-B tests uh, comparing, you know, what happens when the, the AI chat is there and what happens when it's not. For our customers, the the businesses that buy our product and subscribe to Botco AI, it looks like, uh, you know, subscribing to an enterprise SaaS, you know, cloud-based product, right? They, they sign up. They get access to our authoring tools and our fast knowledge acquisition engine where they can train the AI on their content. They can also customize conversations based on templates that we've given them so they can provide like welcome templates or lead capture templates, you know, all of these typical things that people want to do, FAQ templates, things like that. So they can very quickly configure these conversations, train the AI and have it up and running in a matter of days. We recently just launched one company that literally had never even used our product before the month of April and they were live running this and handling thousands of conversations for them by the beginning of May. That's how quickly they can get up and running with our product.
1: That's awesome. That, that's maybe a good jumping point to the next question. Talk a little bit about current status of the business. That can be any kind of vanity metric you want to share, size of the team, number of conversations, revenue, funding, anything that would help a listener understand where you guys are on the journey.
0: Great. So we started our journey a few years ago already. And it was, you know, we spent the first, I would say, six to seven months really validating our idea. And uh, after we had, you know, hundreds of customers with prospective, hundreds of interviews, sorry, hundreds of interviews with prospective customers, we were able to really shape what that product looked like and started creating prototypes of the product. Well, our first customer that came on board was uh, Best Western Hotels and Resorts, which is a you know, very large brand, 4,500 hotels around the world. And that, that they are really your allowed first, <laughs> that
1: That's your first, first customer.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah right you're, out of you're the not, gate.
1: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> wow. Congrats. Yeah.
0: Which was awesome because we had a large paying customer uh, immediately. And uh, we were able to productize our solution around real scenarios, real conversations, real customer data which of course allowed us to build a much better product because of that, right? We weren't building it in, in a vacuum.
1: <laughs> and I, I got to imagine, I'm, I'm totally going to sidetrack you down a little rabbit hole, but you know one of the things that I think of in, in building an AI solution is that you know one of the most necessary ingredient, ingredients there is data, right? Like you have to have enough data to actually be able to, to figure out how to respond and learn and do all that A-B testing and things like that. So was that part of the strategy in landing somebody that big Out of the gate, or was it you just got you know opportunistic and they were there and you were able to close them and and it just turned out to be a great a great thing.
0: Well, I knew that I I was building a product for large companies and let me tell you why. First, because of your correct point that we need a lot of data to be able to do this well, and it's hard if you don't. And second, because that's the world I grew up in. Right, I I came out of college, I went to work at Intel, so I was at a big Fortune 500 company. Then I started a digital marketing automation agency that serviced Fortune 500 type companies. So my entire world was all my network and contacts were already in these large company relationships. Um, if you had told me, hey, Rebecca, go build a product for SMB or for consumer, I would just look at you like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I don't know how to sell to that business, uh, that, that sector. But I do know how to sell to enterprise. And so it just was natural that that's where you know my Rolodex is there. And so that's where my contacts uh, would be. That, that was our first customer and you know they were amazing in terms of meeting with us very regularly, helping us you know shape from a business what the requirements needed to be and uh, get us you know essentially live <laughs> through through them. Uh, then our second customer that came on shortly after was this other large brand. It's a billion dollar company, massage NB franchising. So they have 1100 locations. They're the largest uh, massage clinic. Franchise in the country. And they needed us for something similar, right? We, we're getting a lot of traffic to our website or we're running lots of ads and we need to be able to convert those, uh, that traffic, you know, those customers more successfully. And so by being able to answer questions about, hey, do you have a female therapist? What's the closest location to me? What kind of ingredients are you using? All of those things, they found that they could close and convert more appointments um, and also sell more memberships. So those were some of our first early customers, and I, I still hold like a very dear place in my heart for them because they they kind of went out on a limb to work with such an early stage startup. Um, so I'm going to give them lots of props for that. <laughs> they have very innovative and forward looking leadership uh, within those organizations. So you know, after doing kind of those initial early access customers, we were able to finish our product. You know, launch our MVP, and uh, now we're you know taking on lots of new customers. So you know, we hired a sales team, and now we're doing things like lead generation and really filling our pipeline. Um, I also finalized a seed, a pre-seed round, um, mostly from angel groups. A lot of the angel investors that are in Arizona, which is where I'm based, you know, all the big uh, primary angel groups backed us, and then several high net worth individuals that have also been in the technology space. And then an accelerator in San Francisco also invested in us. And uh, we won a big prize, which is the Arizona Innovation Challenge, which is like kind of like a innovation startup challenge here. And they, the state gives out a $150,000 cash prize to the winning companies. Wow. So that was awesome. Um, and that has certainly helped us. So. Plus, they did a lot of great, they give us a lot of wraparound services and support. And, you know, if I need an introduction to somebody, literally, you know, the state, the governor's office can do it for me. Like it's pretty amazing. (laughs) So I feel very, I feel very fortunate. And this year, because of that, I'm trying to really take advantage of these resources and opportunities to get us to the next level, which is now ramping our business to our first million in revenue. Uh, And that's really my focus right now.
1: That's awesome. That is an awesome update. Uh, Okay, cool. Uh, Let's jump into competition. When you think of competitors for Botco AI, who or what comes to mind? And you're welcome to name competitors. You obviously don't have to. This can be, you know, you can take that question in any direction that you'd like. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, there's a lot of, you know, quote unquote chatbot companies out there, and they're selling these $10, $15 chat products. That are great if you're like a small to medium business, because that's right within your price point. But the challenge is if you're a large enterprise and you're a CIO and you need customer data protection wrapped around your content or your your data, or you need encryption or all of these things that you know large companies have to think about, um, some of those products just will not work, right? And so we're really building our, you know, we set out to build a product that was available and useful for enterprise customers. And so it has to have a lot of things like, you know, high levels of accuracy that are proven, high availability, you know, encryption, so we're encrypting the conversations and handling the data in a certain way so it's protected. You know, we have some customers that are in the healthcare space, so we have to be able to comply with these things like personal health information compliance and how do we how we handle that data. So because we're a little bit more elevated and more robust than some of those uh, typical run-of-the-mill companies, we don't see as much competition. Our competition tends to be, you know, quite honestly, in-house development teams, because these are large companies that can, you know, hire hundred software engineers if they want to, or big consulting firms. You know, so these companies could just write a big check to Accenture or Deloitte and say, hey, these are our specs. Go build this thing for us. Uh, but that's how we know that we have a, there's a need for our product because we don't see a lot of commercially available solutions that are turnkey and available to use right off the shelf that service that particular sector. And so if if you're trying to decide on, you know, Botco AI or building it in-house or hiring a consultant to do it, it's going to be a lot less expensive and faster to use our product. And you can still meet all those enterprise requirements.
1: So that is a, a beautiful breakdown of kind of how Botco AI compares to competitors in the space, and it, it totally has the ring of truth. As I think about my interactions with some of the, the some of the smaller, you know, chatbots and things like that in the space, but it for me, while you were talking through that, it kind of begged the question. In it, you touched on some of this in kind of you know how you got to where you and the team are today, but why did you start botco AI? Like what, what, was the, what was the thing that made you think, just based on your background, this has to exist and, and I have to be the one who makes it?
0: <laughs> That's so funny that you say that. So I didn't set out to build a company. I was just trying to solve a problem. And, you know, I owned prior to starting this company, I owned a marketing automation uh, agency. And my focus was to help, you know, large companies with their campaigns uh, in marketing automation. And what I was noticing is that most of those platforms were built back in the 2000s in a very different world and what I would call a synchronous world. And they were built before the on-demand economy happened. And so about five years ago, I was getting really frustrated and I was noticing performance metrics dropping off on some of these traditional marketing automation platforms. And I started to think about, well, you know, we need something that's on messaging. We need something that's on chat. We need to be able to run campaigns that are, you know, instantly provide instant information for customers, not these like eight-week drip campaigns that take forever, right? That's just not how people want to consume information or content anymore. And none of these products would listen to me. I mean, I was on their customer advisory boards. I was going to their meetings and meeting with their product and, you know, executive teams and telling them like, Hey, I need this over here. Why are you not building that for us? And they would just look at me like I had three heads And finally, I just said, forget you guys, I'm just going to go prototype something. And that's when I right around the time I was thinking that it's when I met my uh, co-founders. And they had also been in that world building marketing automation products in the past. And it was just like, we, our brains were exactly in the same place. We were seeing the same problem. We were seeing the same cracks in the pavement. And, you know, I had all the customer, you know, enterprise contacts and experience from an agency standpoint, and they had... The software building experience, and so it was just like a perfect marriage, so to speak. Um, so we got together, uh, Chris Mehta, my CTO, and Anush Shukla, who's our executive chairman, and started Baco AI. Mostly because nobody else would build it, so we felt like we had to build it. It's something that we owed the world. <laughs> it was a solution that was actually going to work for today's on-demand, you know, always-on customer.
1: I. Love that answer uh, on more levels than you could possibly imagine. Do you, do you still uh, do you still have the marketing agency?
0: Yes, I still own it. I'm not in, involved in it on a day to day. I'm more like a board member. You know, I go to the quarterly finance updates. and That's pretty much it.
1: <laughs> Got it. But but that agency can now look at clients and prospects with a straight face and say, "Look, if the solutions to your problem don't exist in the market, we'll just go spin up a company and solve it for you."
0: Exactly. Yeah, and and um, that's what happened. And the great thing is also they're they're bringing our product into their clients, which is you know the whole reason why this even came about.
1: <laughs> right. I love it. Okay, so let's go kind of back to then um, positioning against the the competition. So when you go in and talk to a big enterprise client. I, is there anybody else kind of at your level uh, from an enterprise need perspective? And, and it's genuine curiosity. Like, like are they encountering two or three options at your size and scale? Or is it really, no, you're, you're like the only one out there with enterprise-grade security and, uh, you know, HIPAA compliance and things like that?
0: Oh, I mean, for sure there are. Uh, Watson is probably the one that comes to mind the most. Uh, because IBM, you know, is safe and everybody trusts IBM, so nobody will. But you know, Watson is hard to implement. In fact, a lot of companies look at Watson and trying to implement that product within their company, and they they end up having to hire consultants to implement Watson, so, <laughs> or they have to have big teams that can use the product. So it's not the most user friendly product. It's not something that a marketing organization can just, you know quickly ramp up, you know, that story I told you about being able to go live in a matter of weeks just would be unheard of. Um, you know, Watson has been around a while. And so some of the frameworks that they're using are, I wouldn't, we are probably a little bit outdated. You know, we have the advantage of not having the legacy that they probably have. And so we were able to start fresh and anew with some of the, you know, more current approaches um, that, you know, they are encumbered with not having, right. They have a legacy to deal with.
1: Yeah, I can, I can totally appreciate that. So then when you're in, this is, so, you know, one of your channel strategies is obviously the digital marketing agency. And I'm at one would assume other agencies as well. Is that, is that true?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, we certainly get a lot of uh, phone calls from agencies that are trying to add this to their repertoire of services. And so they want to get educated on it and they want to find a product that's easy to use. Um, but, really we're just hearing directly from customers uh, mostly and we can certainly work with brands directly and you know i think at some point we will probably create a more formal channel program it's just we're a little bit early we haven't built that yet
1: (laughs) no that's fine that that actually that that goes nicely into what i was going to ask which is based on all of your experience in kind of marketing and specifically marketing to large enterprise companies I'm curious how you're marketing Botco AI. Like what are you doing right now today from a strategy perspective to get it to get in front of your prospects?
0: Because we're creating a new category, it requires a lot of education. And so I have really focused on speaking engagements, things like, you know, coming to your podcast, formats where I can give a little bit more background and explain, you know, what are the larger macroeconomic factors that are forcing this type of product to be needed. And often, in fact, uh, you know, that Massage be customer that I told you about, that's how I, I got them was, you know, I was speaking at a conference about the topic of AI and intelligent chat nurturing. And they approached me at the end of the conference and asked to speak and meet. And that became, you know, a, a customer. That's probably the main thing I do. Of course, we're also starting to do some more traditional outreach, like on LinkedIn. And, you know, I post a lot of content, And we have a a rich blog that we're trying to really build out with educational, helpful information. And we give all that content away. It's like we even have their step by step. Like if your company is interested in implementing a chat solution, here are all the things you need to think about. Here's a checklist. Here are pitfalls to avoid. You know, whether they use our product or something else, that content is there for them to use. And our goal is to be as helpful as possible because we want to raise this entire, you know, waterline right up. because I believe we can float all boats,
1: right? <laughs> so you've said a really great turn of phrase when you started that answer about just talking about the macroeconomic conditions that lead to this type of solution. Did I get that right?
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: so what are some of those? Uh, macroeconomic conditions and uh, that are kind of driving it today. And then uh, what I'm more interested in are what do you see from a trends and kind of future looking perspective? What are some of the things that are coming that will even make this a better place to be in the future?
0: Sure. I mean, right now, the big one that's in front of all of us is this COVID-19 shutdown, right? So what this forced was digital transformation had to become a must within businesses so some businesses were already starting to do this, some were dabbling with it, some were thinking about it, but what COVID-19 and this shutdown did was force us all to move into that digital space with much more intentionality and thought. So if you look at, you know, every single school district in the country had to go online overnight pretty much, right? Every single healthcare company had to figure out how to develop a telehealth solution. And trust me, they've been looking at telehealth for 10 years. It's not a new thing, but why had some of them delayed it, right? Now they have to do it. And so that transformation, what we have found, has created a ton of demand for our type of solution. And so what I often do is help customers really think about, okay, where are all the digital touch points? And how are you creating friction across those digital touch points? Because you're, you're making people take steps in different places to buy your product. You're making it too hard. They come into your website, but they have a question. So they have to pick up the phone. Like, what is that? That's a terrible experience, right? No. <laughs> if you paid for an ad and you brought them to your website, just answer their questions on your website, right? <laughs> don't make them go somewhere else to do that because you're you're losing more than half of them in that step, that friction that you're creating. And so, and I don't just do it for, for my product, but I, I force them to kind of think about it across their entire... You know, customer journey is where are you creating those gaps in their experience and how can we help you bridge those, whether it's with our product. And then of course, since I have a lot of marketing background, I can give them other ideas of things that they can do beyond just my solution. But that's probably the biggest one that we're, we're facing right this moment is it's just accelerated the urgency for digital transformation and rethinking that uh, customer journey. Now, what do I see off in the future? You know, I see a world where, you know, when I look at my kids, I have teenagers. They are so much more comfortable interacting through chat and messaging and voice assistance. To them, that is natural. I mean, my kids will walk up to a router and try to talk to it because they think that everything should be spoken to. Right? (laughs) It's normal for devices to talk back to you. And that's just the world they live in. And they're already in college. I mean, this Gen Z... Group is coming out of college soon, they're entering the workforce. These are going to be people very soon who have buying power at companies and who have decision-making ability. And we have not figured out as brands how to engage with this generation in a way that they want to be engaged with. They don't want to read long emails. They, you tell them to go to a website and research something and they look at you like you're crazy. They're like, no, I just ask, you know, hey, what's the this or that? Right. They just ask for what they want. They don't do those other things like researching a website, reading long emails to them. That's like telling them to go get a fax machine, off of <laughs> a fax off of the fax machine, right? <laughs> and so that's the future. I look at them. I look at my teenagers. and I'm like, this how they engage with content and how they interact with technology and how they just expect to ask for something and for it to magically appear. That's the future, and as businesses, we better be getting ready because they're coming, and they're, it's a big group of people that are entering the the workforce and our economy.
1: I I love that. Do Do you have uh, either today or on the roadmap a voice solution with Botco AI? Yes.
0: Yeah, so our product is actually built on a Google framework, and so we can very easily implement voice as well. Uh, we haven't done it yet. We're still you know trying to stay focused on. You know one particular product avenue, but as we get more funded and as we grow, that's the natural extension of of our product. But yes, we, nice. we have all the underlying uh, requirements met, so that if a customer said, "Hey, now I want to turn this off on a voice, assist- turn this on on a voice assistant," <laughs> we could very easily do that.
1: That's fantastic. So, Rebecca, do you guys have any uh, swag at Botco AI?
0: Yes, we do, in fact. What do you have? We have t shirts that have become very popular. People always ask me for one. And so I'm now anybody who invests in my company or customers or just friends of Botco AI, if they want a shirt, I'm always happy to get one to them.
1: I want to be a friend of Botco AI. I want a shirt.
0: Okay, what's your shirt size? <laughs> yes,
1: uh, XL.
0: XL, okay and then you'll just email me an address to send
1: it to oh yeah i'll 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 find i'll i'll get that over to you that so that's awesome so then uh you give those to customers as well
0: yes if they if they want one some people don't but i I like to give it to them
1: (laughs) i didn't ask you this in the in the main podcast but do you guys do conferences do so are you like uh would you be a vendor at a conference with the booths and all that kind of stuff
0: well, eventually, yes. Right now, I usually go to conferences as a speaker or if I'm running a session. it's how I prefer to do it versus having a booth. But just because they charge you for the booth part, and usually they don't charge me if I go to speak. <laughs> it's just one more budget driven. But, you know, I, I, I finally have some, you know, more money from investors so I can actually pay for booths now. So, but, the, you know, all that came in right before the COVID thing shut down happened.
1: Right, so now there's no more conferences, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so
0: right when I got the money so I could go to conferences, there are no more conferences. But, you know, when they resume, yes, I'm sure we will be at several of them.
1: So what do you think will be the BotCo AI giveaway of choice at the booth at a conference in the future?
0: Ooh, that's a good question. Well, I, you know, in Arizona, people love hats. Like the... Because we all wear hats to go hiking or to go outside,
1: um, so it's I blindingly can... bright all the <laughs> exactly.
0: time. Exactly. So hats here in in my region of the world, like Southern California, Arizona, like the sunny parts of the country, hats are very popular. But I haven't thought about like what would be super popular for like the colder places. I should I should think about something since I don't live in a cold place. Those those thoughts never come to my mind. But I'd love suggestions um, if you had any. I will take
1: them. Well, That's awesome because you could talk to the folks at Fuel Merchandise and uh, who's a sponsor of this podcast, fuelmerchandise.com, and they would love to talk to you about uh, what their best conference giveaways are at different regions around the country. That's a very nice lead in. Thank you.
0: Yeah, that's actually great. In fact, right now we're working on uh, reordering a bunch of stuff, so I'll definitely look at their website or talk to somebody there.
1: Awesome. That would be great. Mention Startup Competitors and get 10% off your first order.
0: I will. Definitely. Thank you for that.
1: Talk to me, if, if I, uh, if I gave you half a million dollars right now in, uh, venture funding, would you, how much of that would you spend on product versus, uh, sales and marketing?
0: That's a good question. I mean, I would probably spend 60% of it on marketing and 40% on product and, uh, advancement of our IP. Our product is mostly done is, you know, at this point we're working on the bells and whistles and the fun parts of it as opposed to the core technology, but I do have a pretty long wish. There's list. There's no fun
1: parts of enterprise technology. That's not real.
0: <laughs> no, there's a lot. <laughs> um yeah, so I have a I have a long list. My roadmap is like five years long, because I keep adding to it. Oh, we need to add this and we need to create that. And would it be awesome if we did this? So I would I would throw some more engineers on it so we can work on our roadmap faster for sure. But you know, so much of it, especially for investors, they want to see investors don't actually like to invest in technology. It sounds like you think that they do, but they actually don't. They want you to have the technology already built and they just want you to invest in growth because what they want is a return on their money. So might you know. be
1: <laughs> the single best quote of this podcast for the entire year. What you just oh. said right there.
0: <laughs> Great. I'm glad to be the purveyor of it. <laughs> yeah. 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 So at the end, like they, they just want you to grow. So they're like, they want you to put your money into growth. So that's why I, I'm always I, I'm a marketer by, you know, profession. And so I, I value that. And so, you know, I invest in things that are going to help me get more customers and keep the customers I have and grow the customers I have. That's where I put most of my daily energy.
1: So then that, you know, three hundred thousand dollars or so that you put into sales and marketing, where do you think you spend that on the sales and marketing side?
0: Oh, lead generation and sales. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the really core raw stuff, you know, I would probably, you know, on the lead gen side, there's certainly some marketing products that I could use that would help us. Um, in fact, you know, one of your previous guests was a rep boss sounded like a really great one. <laughs> but mostly it's yeah, it's like getting, you know, outreach, getting our product in front of as many people as possible. Uh, because you'd be amazed how many people are are thinking about this, but they have no idea where to start. And when we reach out to them, they're like, Oh my gosh, how did you read my mind? I've been looking for something. I've been thinking about this. I just don't know how to do this. And you just landed in my email or my LinkedIn. Yes, let's meet. That's the type of reception we get.
1: That's awesome.
0: So I just, I just need to get in front of more people.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that that's fantastic. What what's been the most difficult, or maybe maybe difficult's the wrong word. What's been the most surprising or educational component to you in terms of building an AI solution?
0: Oh, well, I knew it was going to be hard, so that wasn't surprising, right? You don't you don't go into this uh, type of line of work thinking it's going to be easy, because otherwise, you know, everybody would be doing it. So I knew I knew it would be hard. I think what was surprising was actually how well it worked. (laughs) I know that sounds uh, counterintuitive, but I was even at the beginning a little bit doubtful of like, will this actually work. Like I had all these theses, theses. What's the plural of thesis? I had multiple theses. Ideas or,
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I don't know what the right word is either.
0: I'm like, which is the right word? It's, none of them are sounding correct. Anyway, I had ideas of what might work, and you know, you just think, like, what if we just did all this work and it doesn't actually do anything? It doesn't move the needle, right? There's always like that little feeling down at the pit of your stomach, like, oh gosh, what is this? Oh, is I know, know that feeling. Gonna, out. And then last year, it was such a relief. I remember in the summertime, Massage Envy came to us and said, Hey, by the way, we did this AB test and you should know about it. I was like, Oh no, what what happened? They're like, so we took half of our ad traffic and sent it to our website without, you know, like a page that didn't have chat on it. And then we sent the other half to a chat, you know, the chat with us experience. And here's the, here are the metrics. And I was like, Whoa, This is incredible. You converted twice as many when you sent them to our solution. They're like, yeah, we're going to redirect all of our ad traffic to now go to you guys. So you guys need to meet with our ad agency and, you know, coordinate all of this with them. That's awesome. I was like, thank God. (laughs) Because right, you know, you you always think it works and you see good things, but you never know the full picture. Is this really going to work? And when you just see hard cold metrics like that, and the customer did it without even telling us, that's when you know, okay, okay, this works. Like it's actually doing what we thought it would do, you know. And so that now I can very confidently tell my customers, like, hey, this is going to work for you. And let me just show you how it worked for this other customer. And if you know you do it, and we can even make it better because we didn't optimize anything for their test. Like it was just running. I mean, if we even did some optimization for you and we really targeted the messaging around the ads because there had been no coordination between the ads and the chat experience, I would have wanted to do that, obviously. (laughs) It could be so much better. So that was like our benchmark. And from there, we can just go up.
1: That's fantastic. Where are you investing your time outside of BotCo AI right now? That could be passion projects, hobbies, interests, things that you're trying to learn. Uh, What comes to mind when I ask that question?
0: Sure. Well, I'm spending a lot of time uh, in this accelerator that I'm in. So I'm learning a lot about sales, which is great because my experience in the past was really around business development for services, which is very different And learning how to do sales for a product is a new discipline for me. And I've really enjoyed learning that. So that's one thing I'm kind of taking, I'm reading all the sales books and going to all the sales webinars (laughs) and just trying to get really good at that.
1: (laughs) Highlight for me. Well, actually first, what's the accelerator?
0: Alchemist accelerator in San Francisco.
1: Perfect. And then highlight a couple of those key differences in terms of selling services versus product
0: volume. I mean, it's all about volume when you're on the product side. And so you just have to deal with a much more disciplined approach and a much higher volume of everything, more touch points. You know, you have to really look at your pipeline much more closely and everything just has to move much more quickly, right? So you're, you're dealing with more volume, more velocity, and just more, uh, data right (laughs) so the in the agency world i mean it would be great if you had two new customer meetings a month right that could keep you afloat for a while yeah i mean in product you need to be having two new customer meetings a day it's a different story (laughs) and so that just means you have to do everything differently
1: what are some of your favorite books or blog posts or resources that you've encountered on that topic
0: Oh, um, so Aaron Ross is a great author. He was the um, he's kind of my inspiration. <laughs> he uh, was the one who basically got salesforce.com to its first million. And then I also love the Sandler sales method and have been reading their material and their blog and everything. I would say those are my two like primary go-to sources.
1: Excellent. Love it. All right. And I completely cut you off while you were talking about other things related to that. You That was kind of the first thing you were highlighting that, that you're excited about?
0: Yeah. You know, of course, that's kind of professional. But I, I you know, you'll see me doing that while I'm um, cooking, right, which I love to do. I have a garden, which was very timely in this shutdown. I built um, a four box uh, garden last year. And so I have tons of beautiful produce that's coming in every day from my backyard. And so then I have to cook it. Right. So I'm, I'm constantly coming in and out of the garden into my kitchen. And right now I feel like I have a salsa making factory going on because my tomatoes are just exploding. I get like 20, 30 new tomatoes every day. So that's it's, awesome. it's hard to keep up with them. <laughs> I'm always like my tomatoes, I have to make gazpacho and salsa and tomato sauce. And yeah, my kitchen is like, Exploding with tomatoes right now. And then I listen to podcasts while I'm doing that uh, or books, audiobooks from, you know, Aaron Ross or Sandler training uh, while I'm doing that. Um, I also have been very involved, like I mentioned earlier, in Girls in Tech here in Phoenix. I was the uh, one of the founding um, members here in this uh, Arizona uh, location. And so I spend a lot of time uh, with that community. So our Girls in Tech uh, chapter here, I'm putting on events or now webinars or virtual events for girls and women who are in technology or interested in technology. And that of course is is very rewarding. That's kind of the the giving back part of my life um, that I enjoy doing quite a bit. And I've met some tremendously inspiring people through that effort. So that that really it makes everything worthwhile. And then, you know, my kids, my family and teenagers, like that whole world is huge. So um, but my kids are great. They, they are my first uh, beta test for everything I do. They, they look at my product. They give me feedback on my presentations. They tell me where I can improve my pitch. I mean, they know my pitch. You could ask any of my kids to, to give my pitch and they could probably give it because they've heard me give it so many times. And they tell me what stories work and which stories don't work and how, where I need to improve. And they're my, my harshest critics. So, um, you know, I, I really appreciate having them in my life.
1: <laughs> how, how old are they?
0: My daughter is 16. She's almost 17 this summer and then my son is uh, 14 and my little one is 10. My my youngest daughter is 10. Um and she's actually she's my speech coach actually the 10-year-old. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and she's a tough one too.
1: <laughs> I, I'm uh I'm trying to map that on so I have a 9-year-old and a 4-year-old and I cannot see my 9-year-old being my speech coach. That's that would not work out well for me. So <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, she's so funny. Like, uh, I was preparing to give a keynote somewhere at at a conference, and, you know, I was giving, preparing. She's like, no, 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 you need to pause here more. You said that too fast. That line doesn't work. Throw that out. No, I didn't like that. I mean, she was tough on me. But I have to tell you, everything that she told me was spot on. Like, her intuition, I don't know. And the thing about 10 year old girls, especially, there's something about that age where they're so truthful, right? They haven't been like, tainted by the world and by all these other things and they just see everything so clearly like I want to just stop her in time obviously I can't but I just think like wow everybody should have a 10 year old girl in their life like you would just would all be so much better if we if we had that 10 year old walking around with us pointing things out and, and making sure we saw things more clearly
1: well I I can't I, I don't think I have a a ton to add on on most of those topics, but the one thing I will tell you that we're doing right now in, in my life uh, that translates nicely to cooking and and the ten year old is i'm <laughs> I'm uh, having my nine year old uh, we just kicked this off a couple of weeks ago and he's already made a couple of just unreal meals. He's working through the four hour chef by Tim Ferriss.
0: Oh, that's an awesome one, yes.
1: And and he's cooking. We just started with the very first meal, which is osobuco, and then uh, which was magical. Uh, He made that. Yeah,
0: yeah, he he
1: made that a couple of weeks ago, and uh, and he's. We're basically going recipe by recipe, and he's going to cook everything in the book um, from start to finish. At least that's our big idea. We'll see if that actually happens, but it's uh, it's awesome father son time uh, for for the two of us, and. In my mind, is teaching him some real life skills that will pay off down the road. So that if if you love to cook, that would be an awesome way to maybe get some even more quality time with your with your daughter.
0: Oh, I love that idea. Well, and you know, all my kids cook. In fact, it was funny one day I was on a conference call. I was you know on these eight hour Zoom calls one day of nonstop calls. So I was just oh yes behind a closed door all day, even though I was home, and I had all these of pickles in or not pickles are cucumbers that had ripened and my son just while I was on my calls he went out there he harvested all the cucumbers made a brine and pickled them when I came out of my conference calls there was this whole you know collection of pickled cucumbers jars just sitting there on the kitchen counter and I was like who did this what what just happened
1: that's so awesome <laughs>
0: how did stuff get pickled without my involvement and he's like oh yeah i just did it and i'm like my job here is done. You are ready to go off into the world. <laughs> if you can figure out this, I have no concerns. <laughs> so yeah, I, I agree with you. Teaching your kids to cook and how to work with food and just understanding everything that goes into preparing a meal is one of the most essential life skills. And if you can give him that, like he's ready for anything, honestly, I think.
1: <laughs> so humor me here for a second. I, I'm a big believer that there's very little... Compart- no, no matter how hard we try in modern society to compartmentalize our lives, I, I I'm I'm kind of a big believer that that that's fake. Oh. So there's a part of me that has to think, you, you know, you're you still have an agency, even though if you're you're not actively running it. You're launching a startup. You have a family where you have incredibly self sufficient kids. If they can do stuff like that, so there's a a common theme there of you know, you being able to, you know, train, build, inspire a team around you to to go get stuff done. Otherwise, there's there's absolutely zero chance you could do all those things, right? So as you reflect on that, what are some of the either principles or things that you're doing with your family and your kids or in your work life that are enabling some of that? What are What are the things that you're doing that allow you to build, you know, a team and a culture around you that you know, creates that sense of self-sufficiency and, you know, action taking and the ability to go figure things out, even when maybe you're not in the room.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. You're right. That is a common thread in my life now that you pointed out. <laughs> and I think it's because I approach the world as like, I'm always trying to work myself out of whatever job I'm in. And I've always done that. So I always see like, okay, I'm doing this job right now, but I should always be training the next person or several people to do my job. And so the way I got out of, you know, having to be involved in the day to day of my agency was doing exactly that. I said, I wrote down every single thing that I do, which was pages and pages long. And I figured out who am I going to teach to do these things? And sometimes it was multiple people. Sometimes it was just one person. But I spent two years really, you know, crossing off every single thing on that list so that I could disappear and everything would be handled by somebody else. And I didn't even have to be involved. So that was how I approached. And, and they loved it too, because the team saw growth opportunity, right? Because usually when the owner is still around, they're like, well, I'll never be able to do that because they're the here. And why would they give me that role or that responsibility? They, they take ownership of that. But no, it was all available to them. And in fact, at the beginning, they're like, you're sure you want us to do this? We're going to be responsible for the finances of your business. I'm like, well, yeah, you have to be. Otherwise, how are you going to run it? <laughs> and so it was great and it showed I think when you give that vote of confidence to people that you see it in them and that they can probably even do it better than I was doing it and I tell them that I'm like look this is just how I did it but you may have 10 better ideas and so I want it to get better and it's only going to get better if you take it on and I think just approaching work that way changes the game right people suddenly want to come to work because they know you trust them they know that their ideas are going to be valued they know that I'm not trying to uh, protect my turf. right? I have no turf. I want to give away my turf. I want my turf to be their turf. Right? <laughs> That's my philosophy. And so I probably do that at home too. Like, you know, I want my kids to learn if I cook meals. Well, they need to learn how to cook meals. If I do laundry, they should know how to do laundry. If, the, you know, all of those things they should know how to do. And, and I even see it like with, with work. I've trained them to do some basic things that I do at work. Like, you know, my daughter helps me with my company's social media, you know, I have her post stories or come with me to events so that she can take notes and give me feedback later or take pictures or talk to even customers and get an idea of what they're thinking about the product, right? I incorporate my kids, I see them as apprentices, right? Like they're gonna go off and go into the business world. And if I didn't teach them how to do business when I had them at home, like what a what a disgrace, right? That would be such a missed opportunity. This is the best internship that they will have is being my children, I guess. <laughs>
1: That is a great way to view it. All right, Rebecca, I strongly feel like I could talk to you for a whole nother hour and in, enjoy every minute of oh, it. Oh, yeah, I got over. <laughs> we're way over time. I gotta let you go. Uh, okay. If people would like to get in touch with you or would like to learn more about Botco AI, what is the best way for them to do that?
0: Email me at uh, Rebecca at BotCoAI.ai AI or LinkedIn. I'm I'm there too. You can. I always prefer if you reach out to me on LinkedIn. Just write a little note uh, in your connection you know personalize your invitation say hey i heard you here I, I met you there because then that way I, I have a sense of where you fit in my life and uh yeah just reach out i'll be happy to to meet with you i can even do you know since we're all virtual now we could set up zoom coffee if you want to learn more and i'd love to get to know you better too
1: awesome thank you so much for taking the time to do this and being so uh transparent that this was great You're thinking of launching a SaaS
0: product, startup competitors can provide data on your closest competitors, survey potential users, or provide other product validation services. Learn more at startupcompetitors.com.